artificial intelligence and machine learning and the fields such as co- computational neuroscience, they have always coexisted. We know very little about the brain. We might know more about the nature around us or the physics of the universe than we know about the biological brain. AI systems right now, they don't have the kind of understanding needed so they can generate language or communication that is rooted in human-like concepts. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. Hello and welcome to the UKTN podcast, a weekly chat with the founders of some of the UK's high growth tech companies and other key stakeholders. In this series, we'll be exploring what entrepreneurship looks like in the UK right now, as well as getting tips from some of our most innovative business leaders and discussing the hot topics in the tech world. I'm your host, Jane Wakefield, and I'm joined today by Dr. Mandana Armadi, the CEO and founder of Alina. Hi, Mandana. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Excellent stuff. Looking forward to our chat. I'm going to start by describing Alina. So it's an app which is really aimed at people that are suffering from social anxiety. And it draws on computational neuroscience to sort of help them through the process. So let's let's kind of explain, first of all, how, how the app works and the science behind it. Absolutely. So Alina for Social Anxiety is our very first product that targets treatment of social anxiety in people. Yes, we're using computational neuroscience and computational psychiatry to build it. And the way we go about it is trying to understand the brain in terms of what we call cognitive processes. The idea here is that there are some processes that happen in our brain that prepares us to create actions or do things or say things or feel in a certain way. And if those processes are impaired, then our behavior deviates from what is expected or our emotions go a little bit out of hand. Now, this is a new way of understanding the brain. People before, they would just look at symptoms. They would just look at, okay, how is this person different? And here we're trying to understand it from where the behavior is generated in the first place, which is those processes in the brain. So in Alina, it's a digital solution. It's a self-management digital solution. It is a medical device, so it's regulated for use in the UK. And we've created these environments which look like games. You go in, you play the game, and it just measures the health of cognitive process from which then you get your results. It tells you how you're faring. And then from then on, you can go and receive treatment. At this point, it's behavioral treatment based on CBT, but hopefully we can extend it to other kinds of treatments and conditions. And explain that acronym. CBT is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. It's a kind of treatment which is about behavioral modification. The way we understand it is in terms of cognitive modification and it's free from medication. You don't need medication. 
we're at a really interesting time, it seems to me, in terms of understanding the brain. You know, there's been years and years where we haven't quite got to grips how it's worked, while at the same time developing artificial intelligence that sort of mimics it without necessarily thoroughly understanding how it works. Do you feel that we're sort of on the brink of starting to unlock some of the secrets of how the brain works with sort of technological developments that we're seeing with AI, etc.? I think we will. We are pretty close to understanding the biological brain much better now than we have ever before. Bear in mind that artificial intelligence and machine learning and the fields such as computational neuroscience, they have always coexisted. I call them twins of each other for nearly a century, actually. When most people talk about them as if it's new now, but it has a very rich history. The idea of neural networks, it is borrowed from neuroscience. And vice versa, things from AI and machine learning, people use in computational neuroscience and computational psychiatry to understand the brain. Now, you're absolutely right in the sense that we know very little about the brain. We might know more about the nature around us or the physics of the universe than we know about the biological brain because it is a very hard physical system to understand. Most physical systems, when you engage with them, they don't change. But the brain changes. We call that learning. So as we measure it, it keeps changing. So that's one of the reasons it's very hard. Now, we hopefully can use this new technology from AI and machine learning to understand it a little bit better. It's a tool for deeper dive into how the brain works. Now, I've actually had a little bit of a play around with the app. And from what I could see, there was an awful lot of questioning on it. I'm quite a lazy person and I'm not great with questions. It kind of actually reminded me of those sort of surveys that you'd see in women's magazines where they ask you certain questions about things. And I always struggle with those because I always think, well, one day I could answer it one way and another day I could answer it another way. So are you convinced that this kind of methodology has really got the scientific rigor that we we need for a topic such as mental health? Yes. So in some ways, yes. And in some ways, it could improve. So let me tell you how cognitive behavioral therapy works in the first place. The idea here is, can we find a way for a person to change the process, the cognitive process that gives rise to their behavior. Say, for example, they avoid going to parties. They want to change that. What can we do about it? And if you go back to how the brain works, it always starts with a thought. And we always enact an event in our head. We call that a thought experiment, an internal thought. And then eventually we bring it to the world outside. So... Alina right now uses a lot of these questions and questionnaire style because this is how CBT is structured. This is how this treatment works. And there is a lot of clinical data that shows that it can help people walk through the process of initiating a thought, creating a thought experiment, and then going and doing an experiment. Like For example, we call that exposure therapy. And eventually at some point they can build towards that. Can this be done a little bit less question style and more maybe engaging? You're right. But that's about delivery of it to people rather than the core basics of what is happening. The basics of it is about helping and scaffolding the cognitive process to slowly, slowly move away from its current state to a new one by changing the attention and all of those things. We're absolutely seeing an a huge number of apps out there now to help with kind of what is a mental health crisis. 
I do wonder, though, whether, you know, this is the answer. Technology is the answer to that. I guess you would definitely say it is. But how do people kind of navigate their way through what can be quite a confusing landscape? There are so many apps out there, aren't there, that, are, that, that say they can help you with your mental health. And presumably not all of them are as good as each other. Actually, you'd be surprised to hear that I agree with you. I don't think technology is the way to fix mental health problem. What I do believe is that mental health is about human connection. Mental health is about us developing genuine relationship with each other, manipulating the world around us in a way that makes it better, more comfortable. It's about the experiences that we have. It's not about our relationship with a digital device or a robot. It's about our relationship with people we love. And it's about building that and enjoying it. The way I see technology, I know there are lots of things out there that they say, oh, use this as a companion and that will help you with your mental health and blah, blah. I don't agree with that. I think technology is a tool. It's a tool to enable us to be able to build those relationships. Think about it. A telescope is a tool for us to see the faraway stars. If you wear glasses, it's a tool for us to see other people better. These are tools for us to be able to tap into our potentials and make use of stuff. And that is what technology is to me. We never claim about Alina to be the solution to mental health. We always talk about it as a digital aid for people to use to get the power so that they can now go and create those healthy relationships, which ultimately what mental health is. When you think about it, when people are cruel to each other, nothing Nothing can take away that wound. That wound is very, very real. And it can only be inflicted by another human being. A quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. So how many users do you have? Uh, how many people are there using this app? I guess reg on a regular basis because it strikes me as something you've got to kind of stick with, right? Yes. So within four weeks of using Alina, often people see a clinical improvement in their symptoms. And we have had people who've told us they could now do things that they couldn't do before using Alina. We had a soft launch, so we haven't been actively marketing or anything, but we have over 500 people every week using Alina. And often people keep using it, even though they have improved, because it's more like a keeping well rather than guessing well. So yeah, we have people who have been around for a very long time. And you mentioned that, you know, social anxiety was your first product, hinting at the fact that perhaps there's more to come. Can you talk about anything else that's in development for the app in the coming months and years? Yes. So there are over 300 mental illnesses that are known to the clinical board. And people know them as labels in terms of labels, depression, anxiety, social anxiety, general anxiety, OCD, and all of those things. We are understanding those conditions, as I said, in terms of cognitive processes. These cognitive processes are shared across different conditions. And we are building the battery of Elena to include all of those. 
which means we are going to now next go and develop for depression and we will go and develop for generalized anxiety. And at some point, we have developed enough couples of cognitive process and intervention so that people can come to Alina and without the diagnosis, receive precise intervention for what they need. Because that is what I think is missing. It's not so much about diagnosis or treatment. It's understanding which treatment is good for me without going on a sort of trial and error journey. Now, I mentioned earlier that there are a huge number of these apps around and it can be very confusing for people. So one of the ways I guess that you can root out which ones are, are good is by whether they are recommended by the NHS. So is, a, is, is Alina something that the NHS approves? So it depends on what you mean by approving. And it, Alina is a regulated medical device so that as far as the regulations, the clinical regulations in the United Kingdom goes, yes, it is safe and suited to be used in clinical settings. And yes, the treatment Alina delivers is exactly the same treatment NHS delivers and it's according to NICE guidelines. So do you think that these kind of apps are best used individually? Because we're increasingly seeing... Are businesses buying into particular apps? I'm thinking of, of an app like Mindspace. There's others of a very similar nature. And a company will actually provide these apps as part of their sort of duty of care to employees. Is that something that Alina is keen to get involved in? Do you see that as being the next stage for how we address mental health in the workplace? I believe that mental health is a person's journey. And this is something that in the future... It will be addressed by people rather than the employers or healthcare providers and as such. And for that reason, we're developing Elena as a self-management tool so that regardless of whether a person is employed or not, whether they work for a certain company or not, they can use it. And it is built in such a way that they can just easily access it. So there have been companies that have been interested in getting Elena and rolling it out to their employees because we know social anxiety is a hindrance towards people's career development. But I am keener on bringing technology to everybody rather than selling it to workspace, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, you know, being app-based, it, it really democratizes this stuff, doesn't it? It means that anybody can get hold of it. But one of the things that um, I've written about recently is the potential for artificial intelligence. We touched on AI a bit earlier, but the potential for artificial intelligence to really radically change the way that the mental health tech space works. I'd be interested to hear your views on, on that, on whether AI is the obvious next step for mental health apps or not. I think AI will play a very big role in that space because these artificial intelligence agents or algorithms these are algorithms that try to learn from a data structure to make predictions or generate things. And when we think about mental health, if you think about mental health as a tool, the question is, given the data that is collected from a person, can you, how, how can you learn and understand as fast as possible what would be the right treatment for them? So in that sense, AI will come to the aid. And in that sense, it will revolutionize mental health space. But some people use AI in a different way. 
Some people try to use AI as a replacement for humans. They try to create human-like language. They try to make it mimic those human relationships and tonality, uh, the kind of dependencies that we develop towards each other using certain kinds of languages. Now, that that is dangerous, in my opinion, because what that means is that it doesn't have the therapeutic content, the clinical content we want. It just creates false dependencies, the same way, say, alcohol creates a false sense of calm, but it doesn't take away the actual cause of anxiety, right? We just calm down. So that's what these ones would do. And that can be very dangerous. I think that actually can accelerate the mental health crisis and what we are actually dealing with. It can make it much worse because they move people away from making connection with other humans. Interesting. And and you mentioned data there. And of course, data is also another big issue with AI and, and indeed just mental health apps in general, because you are sharing highly personal data about yourself, potentially. How do we deal with that? How do we make sure that either in an AI future or just you know, when there's more and more of these apps that are allowing people to share this data, that that data is kept safe. That is one of the reasons, this data safety is one of the reasons that we are trying to build Elena to arrive directly at people so that this data is not scattered across the path from the end user all the way to the system that tries to treat them and back. And that is why I think in a future where everything has reached a balance, where we are using this kind of technology to help people, that will happen in their home. People should own their own data. There has to be a lot of regulations around who will have access to this data and more transparency, which currently we have got better at that, but I don't think enough is done. Removing t- third parties, removing middle people and middle companies and middle all of those things can increase safety and protection for this data. So yeah, that is down to making the path between the system and the person as short as possible. In our case, we want to be a direct line and having safeguards in place in terms of regulator. Like how do you, so- how do you save them? Are you uh, doing, um, there are lots of things you can put in place where you can anonymize data. You can just remove the stuff from it so that it can be hacked or things like that. And in terms of AI, the other big issue with it in terms of mental health is that generative AI currently does have a tendency to hallucinate, which basically means make things up. I mean, that's potentially disastrous, isn't it, in the context of assessing people's mental health, if, if, there's, if, if they're going to get things just completely wrong. I absolutely agree with you. And it goes back to the fact that the AI systems right now, they don't have the kind of understanding needed so they can generate language or communication that is rooted in human-like concepts. These are mostly statistical machines, statistical engines, and know how to string a set of vocabulary together so it sounds grammatically right and it has some meaning, but that's it. They don't have the capability to understand that infer meaning. They can't do that. And that is why they are not suitable to help vulnerable people with the most precious thing they have, which is their mental health. Because you can survive everything, right? Lack of money, lack of shit. But if you have bad mental health, that is quite that can be quite catastrophic for a person and their family. And so that is why at Alina, even though we do have a background in 
machine learning and AI and all of those things. We are very, very mindful. We don't really use it. We are using these simple questioner-like questions things that try to really help the person, enable the person to walk the journey rather than have all these fancy layers on top, which doesn't actually have meaning. Now, I just want to talk about you for a little bit. And you've previously described on UKTN, actually, how people at your children's school were surprised to learn that you were the CEO of a deep science company. I must admit, when I read that, I was quite shocked. So I think it's worth you sharing that anecdote again, and then perhaps uh, we can talk about some tips for for other female deep science company founders. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. So I am someone who loves baking. And I love my home. I love my flowers. I love my statues. And I love my children and my husband and family and all of those things. So when we have, for example, play dates or parents would come in, I would always prepare a meal and I would make the cake and, you know, we would have all the things, which for some reason seems to equate with being a homemaker. (laughs) And that was funny because to me, it's just like, that is one of the joys of life. For me, it is therapeutic to make something beautiful. I'm I'm, I'm a builder, I'm a maker. So for me, making the cake and the home and all of those things, relationship, in very much actually falls in in line with my personality of building a company. It's the same, to me, it's the same principle. But it seems not to be the case. It seems people think if you are the CEO, you should be, scary and always with your coffee and not want to talk to people (laughs) and so forth it sounds to me like you've got the secret of how to have it all which is something that you know generations of people have have attempted to do and failed so come on let's share share your tips for how you can be the CEO of a a successful company and still find time to bake cakes for your children (laughs) I wish I had it all it happens very um in like little times But I guess the secret to it is that I am blessed to have supportive people around me. So my husband, we've been together for over 20 years and uh, we understand each other and he understands me. So he carries quite a lot of the weight a family would have. And I realize sometimes that's not the case. So this is, for me, it's because I'm in this lucky position where we can share the household work, uh, the parent load, the children, the, the gatherings, the travelings, and all of those things. So if you have to do only half of that, it will be manageable. <laughs> Obviously, your background is Iranian. We hear about Iran mainly in terms of political tensions, but I'm really fascinated to know what you think is going on there in terms of the tech and female entrepreneurship. Is that... Is that something that is rising above the, the the sort of political agenda and the and the sort of headlines that we read? I haven't been to Iran for nearly a decade now, so I can tell you what it was before. I wouldn't really know how it is over the last ten years, but I do know that I have always had this kind of idea of like you need to move, you need to build, you need to change. I always loved making changes. And it didn't go well. It was not welcomed very much. Uh, not because, well, it didn't help that I was female, but in a, in a country where things need to be in a certain way, change is rarely welcomed. So in that way, I wonder, maybe it's still the same. And that was one of the reasons I left, because the kind of thing I wanted to do, I could never do as a woman. Even as a man, it would be hard to do, but even as a woman, it's even harder. I found it much easier 
to do that as an immigrant than as a citizen in my own country. Even though I had no, when I left, I absolutely knew no one, but it was so much easier. And as a builder and an entrepreneur, is your focus going to be Alina for the, for the foreseeable or are you going to become a serial entrepreneur with, a, with something else up your sleeve? No, it's Alina. For me, Alina is the culmination of my life. I always, so the reason I studied computational neuroscience was to understand the brain in this way. I was disheartened at academia because I realized the way we do research there is limited and it takes years for that kind of research to land on people's, you know, in their, in their hands and make a difference in their life. And that's why I started Alina. It was my passion to understand the brain in a way that can help people. And that's Alina. I didn't start Alina because I wanted to start a company. I started Alina because I believe this is the way to go to change the world. And the reason I want to change the world is so that I can enjoy it more. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a very good tip. Always have an idea, not just wanting to set up a company. It's got to be the idea behind it, right, that you have to focus on. It's been fascinating talking to you, but that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the UKTM podcast. Thanks to my guest, Dr. Manny Armadi. To keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments, head over to www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter, where you can also get in touch with me, at Jane Wakefield, with your comments and suggestions about the show. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk intact.